Good morning, church. It is good to be together on the Lord's Day. And so we are going to start a new series this morning in Philippians. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Philippians, Andrew and I are going to share this book uh, through the weeks and months ahead. So we'll have Philippians today and next week and the following week. Uh, and then Shane will be back with First Peter. But then next time uh, myself or Andrew preach, we'll continue to work our way through the book of Philippians. So as you turn there, I just, I just want to talk about my children for a minute. Uh, so I have four kids, as most of you know, uh, and I was present at all their births. And I want to say that uh, being at the birth of a child is a pretty joyous event. N now, uh, I I've never given birth. And I can probably say that most women would say that the circumstances around a birth are not necessarily joyous, but it's the child that brings joy. So it's not the pain, it's not the risk that is joyous, but it is the birth of a child, a, a, a new person coming into the world. And I've got to see that four times, and it is amazing, and there's so much joy, and there's tears, and there's excitement, but it's in the midst of what's a really challenging experience. And so when we look at the book of Philippians, what we see as Paul has written this, it's, it's a little bit of that birthing experience. He is finding joy in this church because of who they are and in what they're doing. So if you remember, Paul went on all these missionary journeys. And we read about them in the book of Acts. And in Acts 16, he ends up in the city of Philippi. And he actually ends up in prison in Philippi. And so he's met a couple people. He, he's met Lydia, uh, and she comes to faith uh, down by the water. And then he ends up in prison with uh, Silas, and they are singing praises to the Lord in the middle of prison, and the jailer there ends up coming to faith, and his whole family, and the church in Philippi is born. And so there's really tragic experiences, circumstances. They're in prison. It's not that exciting, but they're finding joy in the Lord, and then Christ builds his church in Philippi. And so it's, it's very exciting. And so we're going to look in the first chapter of Philippians, and we're going to see some of this joy as Paul writes to this church years later, as he is in prison again. And so I'm reading from Philippians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, obviously, his circumstances, again, are not joyous. He's in prison. He's in prison. Uh, and so we have to remember that our joy is not found in our circumstances. It is found in the spiritual realities of life, just like childbirth. The joy is not in the circumstances of the birth, but in the result of that. 
And so Paul is finding joy in the result of what Christ has done with the Philippians. Some in the church have seen firsthand, the church of Philippi, have seen firsthand Paul's joy despite his circumstances because, like I said, he was in jail and that jailer who came to Christ and his family saw Paul and Silas. They were in terrible circumstances and yet there was still joy. Where are you finding your joy this morning? Are your circumstances letting you down? Uh, I think so. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We've been in lockdown. Uh, you, we have to watch uh, church like this. We can't be together. Uh, our circumstances tend to let us down. Maybe, maybe family is just really hard right now. Maybe it's been hard for a really long time. Maybe, maybe personal struggles with sin uh, are, are really challenging and you just fight for victory and it's, it can be disappointing sometimes. And so uh, this morning, as you think about where you find your circumstances, uh, uh, sorry, where you find your joy, it's certainly not in your circumstances. If we find joy in our circumstances, the problem with that is that it's really fleeting. It goes away so fast because our circumstances change so much. We certainly have seen that in these last months. Our circumstances change all the time. We can't plan for anything. And when we do plan for something, it gets canceled. And so our circumstances are very fleeting. But if our joy is resonating from something greater than our circumstances, it can actually be a tool that God uses to witness to those around us. We want infectious joy. Uh, we want Joy that causes others to say, what is, what is on about this person? They're, they're, they're just mad with joy. They might look at your circumstances and, and, and realize, well, why is this person so joyful? It's like they could reach out and grab your joy. Church, that's what we want our joy. I, frankly, I've been struggling with that these months. It's hard to find joy. And so Paul, in his letter here, he's finding joy in, in two main things in the beginning. And there's a, there's a whole theme of joy in this book. We'll see that word over and over again, joy and rejoice. And one of the ways that Paul is finding joy, one of the things he's finding joy in, is the outward workings of the Philippians' faith. And so go back to the text with me, and let's look at that next verse. So I'm going to read verse 3 and 4 and 5 again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so <clears throat> he is finding joy in their partnership with him in the gospel. We see that there in verse 5. What does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? And I think we have to ask ourselves, what does the word gospel mean? Uh, and many of us have heard this many, many times. It means good news, right? It's the good news that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was raised to life and then he was seen by many. We have a risen Savior. We have someone who has come and lived this perfect life that we can't live. He died a death that it was in our place. He took and bore the wrath of God for our sin. He was raised in victory 
defeating sin and death. And now he has ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. That's amazing. And that's, that's the gospel. It's the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's also the fact that we are transformed by that. We are changed by that good news, by that grace. And so he's saying, you are a partner with me in this gospel message. Uh, But what's a partner? A partner is someone that you are engaged with in an activity, right? And so it's not just agreeing, okay? And it's really clear, this is not what Paul's saying. He's not saying, I'm just, you're just agreeing with me in, in this in this idea or, or this attitude. He, he's not just joyful that the Philippians uh, are, are uh, happy that he is living his own life for the gospel. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that they are with him in this. Uh, gospel ministry is not meant to be done alone. We're, we're at war. We're an army. And God's people are not meant to minister the gospel alone. They are meant to have partners. And so he goes on and he gives two ways, two main ways, that the Philippians are their partner with him. They're partnering with him. And so if you look back again at verse 5, it says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And what he means by this verse, and it's implied here, and we'll see it later explicitly there in verse 5, is that they are giving. They're actually giving funds. They're giving money to help support Paul in his work. So they're not just ascending to the idea that what he's doing is a good idea. They're actually sacrificially giving of their own income to support what he is doing. And sacrificially giving. They're, they're also giving some of their most faithful people for his work. We'll, we'll see later that this man Epaphrodites was sent by Philippi to Paul. And he almost dies in this journey to get to Paul. And so the, they gave money. They gave their people. Uh, and and that is a, that's the partnership that they're in with Paul. Uh, We were at a church in Kentucky and uh, they had sent um, a man out to to, uh, help pastor a church that was on the other side of town. And it was a church that was struggling and that had been struggling for a long time. And so, and he had been pastoring there for, for a couple of years. And one day we're in our church and our pastors call our congregation to go, to go and help this other pastor at that church. I had never been at a church where my leadership was asking me to leave. <laughs> Often church is all about bringing people in and coming and coming and growing and growing. And the leadership was saying, would you be willing to go? And they were willing to lose some of their most faithful people to support this other work. We want to be a church like that. We want to partner with people in those ways. And so they were giving things, but that's not all they were doing. Look at down at verse 7. 
Then at verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. When he says there that they are partakers with me of grace, what you'll see when Paul writes throughout the New Testament, when he talks about grace, he is talking about God's merited favor, but specifically for Paul, he is often talking about his calling. He considered the calling on his life a grace of God. It was hard, it was challenging, it was frustrating at times, but he saw it as a grace. So when he says to them, you are a partaker of me in this grace, he means specifically that they were a partaker in him of his calling to preach. So yes, they were giving money. Yes, they were giving of their people, but they were also completely supportive in the work of his preaching. And it wasn't just when things were going well. Because it says that it was in his imprisonment and when he could defend the gospel. So we, we are called together to be partners with people, with each other, for the Great Commission. And so when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he gave us a Great Commission. He gave us a command to do something. And so in Matthew 28... Verses 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The mission that Paul was on is not just his mission. It was the entire church's mission. When we think about all the people that are serving in full-time gospel work ministry, it is not just their work. It is our work because it is a commission that we have all received if we are indeed Christ's. And it was, like I said, through the thick and the thin and the up and the down. It was when he was imprisoned and hardly had any means to share the gospel, and yet he still did. But it was very limited. But it was also when he, when he could be bold and make public defenses for the gospel. And so it was in both these things that they were partnering with him. They didn't just say, okay, we will be happy to give of our money and our prayers and our people when things are going well for Paul. They were also happy to give when things were going hard for and that is something we want to ask ourselves as we think about different church ministries, as we think about different missionaries that we know of. How, how do we think about their success? Because often, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we want results. We want churches to be growing, and we want missionaries to be sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith. And those are good things to the desire. But do we somehow think that they're unsuccessful when those things aren't happening? Because ultimately, their success is not measured by numbers. It's measured by faithfulness. And so we can gladly support, as a church and individually, church leaders, missionaries, church planters, even when we don't see results. Because we can support them for being faithful to the Great Commission. That's the kind of church that we want to be. They gave money. They gave people, 
and they were completely behind him in his calling to preach the gospel. But they were also a great encouragement to him. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. He yearns for them. Uh, And we know that it is a universal reality uh, that uh, we are built up by encouraging relationships. That's not just a church reality. That's a human reality. We are meant to be with people and people give us encouragement. Uh, So our family are big fans of the show Survivor uh, from from the States, if you're familiar with it. Uh, It's when these people are basically marooned on an island of some kind and they're given very basic provisions, and they compete in these group competitions and individual competitions to survive. They have to outwit, outlast, outplay each other and try to win a million dollars. And so they vote each other off the island uh, in these tribes, and they basically get dwindled down into a very few amount of people. But, but in, and, they're, and they're there for 39 days. That's a long time. And towards the end of that, when there's maybe, maybe eight, six people left, often what they'll do is a family visit. And so they've, they've flown family members in of these contestants, and they allow them to meet with their family. And you would think, you would think that these people hadn't seen their family members for years. And it's really only been a few weeks. But they've been stressed and they're hungry, and they're tired, and there's no one around them they can trust, and suddenly they have a family member come, and there is great joy, and there is great encouragement in that, and it gives them a boost to continue with this game. Paul feels that. He feels that from the Philippians. And we know what that's like. We know what it's like to know that there's someone who is for us without without any hesitation, without any doubt that they're for us. And we know that he's encouraged by them because he yearns for them. Verse 8 again, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You don't yearn for people that are discouraging to you. You yearn for people who are encouraging to you. He loved being with this church. He loved it. And it spurred him on to continue in the work of the ministry. Brothers and sisters, we are not alone. We are not alone. And we should not expect those that are serving for the kingdom of God around the world and even in our city to think that they're alone. We need and should expect to be partners with others in the gospel. So, who can you encourage as a partner in the gospel when you think about it this morning? Is there a friend at work that you know that's just trying to honestly and faithfully share Christ with the people in your workplace? Is there a family member who's trying to do that same very thing? Is there a church leader who labors to study that you can pray for uh, what, would it, what would it look like? So often we are receiving, we are receiving from our leaders. What would it look like if you rang Shane, or if you rang Brendan, or if you rang Luana or Evelyn, 
And you encourage them and ask how they're doing and see how you can serve them. What would that look like? How would that encourage our leaders if that was happening? Is there a missionary you know that's serving in some far off part of the world that you could write a note to? Pray for regularly. Tell them that. A missionary who is far from home needs reminding that they are not alone. This hits very close to home for Valerie and I. I remember before we left Kentucky for Ireland, I met with one of our elders, one of our pastors, and in tears, I I was just so afraid that the church was going to forget us. It was a very transitory church and continues to be a very transitory church. There's a theological school in town and people are in and they're out. And you can go back to that church year after year and there's just a whole new group of people. Um, I mean, there is a core that stays, but there's a, there's a lot of people that are gone in just a few years. And so I was so concerned that this church was going to send us out and that they were just going to forget us. And not that that was their pattern, but it was just a real felt, uh, like it was a fear. And so I sat with tears with one of our pastors and, and just confessed that and asked them not to forget us. And you know what? Four years later, when our family was visiting this church, there had been a lot of turnover, like I said. We knew people. We knew lots of people. But the church had grown by 30%. They were in a new building. And I was wondering, who, who is going to know us? And do you know, over and over again, People would come up to us that we did not know, that we had never met nor seen, and they would say, you're the Keatings, aren't you? You're in Ireland. We've been praying for you. Over and over, in the couple weeks that we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and we were at our church, people came up to us that we didn't know, and they knew us. That was partnership in the gospel. They remembered us, and they were encouraging to us. And brothers and sisters, it was a deep joy for us. We want to be a church who supports missions and missionaries. We want to be a church who prays for other churches. We want to be a church who gives sacrificially of our money and our people. We want to be a church that remembers with joy the partnership we have with others for the sake of the gospel, just like Paul did. We want to be a church where those who go out from us yearn to be with us. Wouldn't that be amazing? Whether, whether they move because of a of job or because we send people for the sake of the gospel around the world, we want them to yearn for us because they know they are loved and that they are in partnership with us. We want to be that church. And then, But why does that even matter? Why does that even bring Paul joy? All these, all these things, it seems almost self-centered, but it's not. First, it demonstrates unity in the church, that they were together for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people around them. They wanted them to come to Christ. Uh, and we'll talk more about unity because it's a big theme in this letter. But for right now in this section, what Paul is excited about and what brings him joy with this outer work of the gospel is because it proves the inner work of what is happening. And so if, I, if you look at verse 6, which I skipped if you, if you noticed, verse 6 says, 
Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The Philippians weren't just doing things that gave Paul joy. They were becoming something that gave Paul joy. There was a confidence that what was started in them would actually be finished. He says to the Corinthian church, he writes to them and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Paul continues to pray for them, actually. Uh, and then in the next section there, verse 9, let me read from verse 9. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wanted them to love more so they could live right and bring glory to God. But he knew, he knew that that was a progress, that was progressive, it was a journey that they were on. And how does that journey begin? Well, back to verse 6, that he who began a good work in you. He, God, God brings or begins this work in his people. If you're his people, he began a work in you. He began a work in me. He began a work in the Philippians. He is the one that began the work in them. So this, this, this becoming something is what God has begun that is, that is moving them out towards partnership with Paul. But it's not just that he begins it, but he also brings it to completion. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We're a fast food culture. We like things quickly. We like to microwave things. We kind of expect things to happen quickly. But the problem is, they haven't arrived yet, the Philippians. That's why he prays that their love would abound more and more. And that they would prove what is excellent. And that they would glorify God. They weren't perfect yet. And brothers and sisters, we're not perfect yet. Have you ever seen those, those time-lapse videos uh, of a building being built? It makes me think of the the hospital there, the children's hospital there in Dublin. Uh, it's going to be a long time lapse, I guess, it, <laughs> I guess, with lots of money spent. But you can actually see the progress still. Uh, I also saw one of uh, Hogan's, um, or Horgan's Key here in Cork, where they're, they're renovating and they're building buildings, and you can watch this thing over the months, and you see these buildings being built. Um, that actually takes time. And we, we know that for, for things like a big building. But somehow, we think that in our own spiritual life, that it should just be fast or just instant. And yet, that's not true. Do, do you expect perfection from yourself? Do you expect, like, immediate victory over your sin? Brothers and sisters, remember, we are works in progress. We should carry around signs that say, hard hat area, or construction zone. Um, there's potential to be hurt around me because I'm a construction zone. 
And I might end up dropping something on you that hurts you, and I don't mean to, or I might mean to, actually, but, but it's a, I'm, a, I'm a work in progress, and you are a work in progress. It is often a battle for us, if we're honest with ourselves, it's often a battle for us to love God and love others. It's something we have to fight for all the time. But we fight for it knowing that God will bring us to completion. So I think a part of that fight, and I just want to encourage you, and I need to encourage myself this morning, a part of that fight is giving grace to ourselves in this. You're a work in progress. Yes, don't be lazy. Strive for holiness. Fight against sin. Kill it. But our transformation is not instant. It's ongoing. And, and Paul wasn't discouraged by this. It was bringing him joy. It was bringing him joy that their outer work, what they were doing for him in the gospel, partnering with him, was actually a display of what was happening inside of them. The proof of who you are is in the fruit. That is taught throughout the New Testament. Does your outer work prove your inner work? James actually addresses this in his letter. In James 1.22, he encourages those reading it to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He goes on later in chapter 2, verse 26, to say, For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead dead. The inward work of God will produce outward work of giving and sacrifice, prayer and encouragement. But it has to be something that's being transformed on the inside that then overflows to the outside. May we be a church that joyfully partners with others for the sake of Christ's great commission, trusting God to transform us day by day, until we're complete. And, and make no mistake, he will do that. Look one more time back to verse 6. And I am sure of this. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that the Philippians would be made complete. I am sure of this for you, brothers and sisters, that Jesus will complete you. You will be complete. That, that is something to find joy in. Our circumstances are a mess right now. But you can find joy that God began something in you, and he's going to finish something in you, and not just internally, but in that, he is going to push you out. The gospel propels us outward to love God and love others. That is something that even today, despite your circumstances, that you and I can have joy in.